0: Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to Evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve Podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans Podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio1000 is the latest edition of the BMP1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. WatersCo was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage at to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Alexander Svetsky is the CEO of Amber App. He's also the editor of BitcoinTimes.News, which is about Bitcoin, money, philosophy, business, startups, and entrepreneurship. To find out more about Alexander Svetsky, or Alex please visit Svetsky.medium.com. That's S-V-E-T-S-K-I.medium.com or go to amber.app, which is p. -P 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 www.amber.app. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, brother?
1: Thank you, Pete. I am doing good amongst the insanity of 2021. We're only nine days in. It feels like a lot longer.
0: <laughs> what insanity are you talking about?
1: Oh, uh, you know, just the, um, the normality of, you know, just cancelling the president and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's all normal, you know. Everyone thought it was only going to start and end with Alex Jones. Now, apparently, anyone who has an opinion contrary to the mainstream should be cancelled uh ignored um and you know one day thrown in a concentration camp because of course that's normal
0: well just before we hopped on uh this chat you said something that uh, i think you should repeat actually about uh i should about your
1: tweet yeah i think um i did a tweet the other day saying something along the lines of it feels like everything's like accelerating or you know we're reaching some sort of crescendo because you know i, I still remember five, six years ago, things seem to be getting worse by like, you know, the quarter or the year. Um, you know, last year we had a major acceleration. Things seem to be getting, you know, more fucked up by the month um, or by the week. Now now it feels like it's by the day or even by the hour, like the amount of crap I'm seeing, like it's wild, wild man. Wild. Honestly, it's like a harmonic that's got out of control, right?
0: Well, I thought I'd wear my special shirt today. I try to, I try to, um, try to set the theme, and I've got my evolution shirt on
1: because I was going to say I should have put my Bitcoin not shipcoin shirt on, but anyway, whatever. Well,
0: about ten minutes ago, before we hopped onto this, the the lead story today. It's Sunday, as you said. I think it's either the the ninth of um, January, twenty twenty one. The lead story says that. Government is spending $24 million on an ad campaign to target 30 to 39-year-old women mainly Mm. to take the COVID vaccine when it hits Australia. Now, all last year we heard this, they're going to give it to the vulnerable first. So uh, are women in the ages of 30 to 39 vulnerable, generally speaking? No, it wouldn't seem that way. So I pose the question, why do you think they would target this group of individuals or this demographic, 30 to 39 years of age? They're not targeting the men, they're targeting the women of that age group. You don't have to really think too Mm. hard to see what that age, what, what can that age group do that many other age groups can't do? Can they give birth? Is that the sort of age group of birth-giving women at the moment that you would say, 30 to 39? Hmm, why are they targeting them to have the vaccine?
1: It's wild, man. It's it, it, uh, do, do you know what? The, the part that makes me the most angry about that probably is that um, you're, you're saying 24 million in government funding and then the danger of uh, the bureaucracies we've enabled is it's actually not... Them, It's not their money. You and I are paying for that inadvertently. You know, it's it's we are working and we have 50% of our money confiscated and then it's allocated to disastrous shit like this, which some bureaucrat decided was a good idea. Um, whatever their intention is, uh, doesn't matter. The, the very fact that you and I don't have a say as to where... The money that is forcefully taken from us through taxation is allocated is fundamentally criminal. Be, be, before we even get up to the stack of why it's being uh, allocated to what? you and I absolutely have no say. and this is this is why th- there's a fantastic book written by uh, an Austrian economist uh, and historian Hans Hermann Hopper, which I encourage everyone to read. It's called Democracy: The God that Failed. And basically he he outlines the the very real, Tendency for uh, the uh, the rule of majority to devolve into uh, situations like this. Removing even any conspiracy out, you know, out of it. What, what ends up happening? We create a system that incentivizes uh, what's called a high time preference, which is the caretakers who runs uh, who are the politicians, central bankers, and everything. They have, they don't have any skin in the game. They don't have, it's kind of like the, uh, the flip a coin game, which is the, the game that politicians and central bankers get to play is they get to play the game of they flip a coin heads. They win tails. We lose. In other words, they have no skin in the game. They can make whatever decision they want. And no matter what happens, we bear the brunt of the decision. We bear the economic cost, the social cost, the moral cost, the, uh, the, the psychological cost, the emotional cost. We bear all of it because they can make decisions and have zero skin in the game because they are public caretakers. And this is at the very core of why the world keeps devolving into stupidity is because we've set up institutions that have no skin in the game. So there's a complete moral hazard, much like the pharmaceutical industry, big, uh, big, big ag, all of these guys, they have no skin in the game. They can just do shit, Um, And it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no repercussion for any of that. Um, And yeah, I think that's going to be probably a solid theme around what we're going to discuss today, but yeah, it's. Yeah. $24 million on something.
0: (laughs) Well, the, the, the other part of this, the other, the other people they're targeting with this ad campaign is the indigenous of Australia. Now, yesterday sure, I was invited for lunch with one of, the, one of the leaders, one of the elders of the tribal people of Australia, cooked me be a beautiful meal of uh, prawns and he was himself and a, a, a Maori elder as well. And we sat around the table having, having a, having a good, good laugh. They do not want to be vaccinated. That's what he said. He goes, yeah. Kick that shit away from us. Yet again, why are they targeting this demographic? When you think about it, without being conspiratorial, it's, you know, you don't have to reach too far to understand why they would be targeting that group and this group, first off. But then they'll come for, <laughs> for everybody else. And I shouldn't laugh, but uh, I, I do think we're going through a massive change and I do think we're evolving. I think a lot, of, a lot more people now are starting to wake up and go, what the fuck is actually happening? Because f- nothing is hidden anymore. That is the lead story in the Sitting Morning Herald today. And no doubt it will be the age yeah. as well in Victoria. So they're putting out a message where anyone with... Anybody that can critically think would just say, all last year you are talking about vulnerable. This those 30 to 39 year old they're not vulnerable so why why have you changed your messaging like that you know and for the because the, people the science Pete it's the science <laughs> but people people reading that will be going, well that's not what you said last week so more and more people are going to start to wake up and go this smells fishy the whole thing smells fishy so we're going to start our conversation and hopefully we're going to do uh, quite a few of these over the coming months, years about solutions. And one of the solutions that, uh, I mean, fuck me. A few years ago, we met at the airport after not seeing each other mm-hmm. for a few years. And you said, mm-hmm. you might want to look into Bitcoin, Pete. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> like, <I'm> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What are you talking about, Alex? Because we know each other from, the, from back in the day when I started my paleo journey, you were at the yep. epitome of health. You were already on this journey, looking after your body, looking after your mind, thinking about things differently. And I wish I had have taken a bit more time back then to go, what is this Bitcoin thing? Anyway, here we are today, 2021. Educate me, educate the listeners and, right. the, and the viewers, mate, however best you can.
1: Okay, so there's man. I'm I'm trying to think. The the best way to probably start this is when I used to talk to people about about Bitcoin. I talked very little about Bitcoin itself. What what I what I tried to do was give people a bit of an education on what money is, um, and a bit of a a bit of a a narrative through the evolution of civilization, effectively, and how money is actually the root of all. Uh, complex civilization. Um, you know, they, they try and teach us all of these lies like money is the root of all evil and, um, you know, the uh, what are some of the other lies that inflation is normal and all this sort of stuff. And we get indoctrinated with this stuff at school so that we don't uh, question uh, what money is. And I think it's really important, like if, if we... If we start there, and I'll try and make this as interactive as possible, um, so I'll sort of ask you questions along the way that, so that we can kind of get to the, the very bottom of it. Because if um, if we do that, we'll form a good foundation to understand why uh, Bitcoin's existence is so necessary. Um, and, you know, and maybe in subsequent episodes, depending on how long we go, uh, we can talk about how it actually drives a stake through the, the heart of what I like to call you know the, 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 call it the deep state or, or just the state apparatus, you know because it has a monopoly on money, whereas Bitcoin uh, liberates money um, and puts it back in the hands of people. so so let's start with uh, let's start with defining um, human beings and civilization. Let, let's go even before money so, why is it that uh, humans who were a relatively insignificant ape out in the savannah 150,000 years ago, particularly our genus or our species of the genus uh, humans, which is homo sapiens, why was it that we sort of emerged uh, beyond other species? Um, you know, what, what, what's your thoughts? What, why, why were we able to come out um, and do things that other species can't seem to be able to do? Oh. Build complex societies, for example.
0: Mate, I was watching some stuff on Graham, Graham Hancock and ancient mm-hmm. ancient, uh, ancient, civilizations last night and, and everything that I thought I knew about civilization and human evolution just went out through the window. That's why I'm wearing this shirt again, just to remind me that mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the world is a fucking mystery. And But let's just yeah. take it from the dietary point of view because that's how you and I met and... Subsequently, I made a film about psychedelics or cannabis in this state, but I studied a lot about psychedelics. So there's, there's, a, there's a few different ways in which our brains grew. Some would mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. that predominantly it was the inclusion of animal fats, more animal fats, a large amount of animal fats mm-hmm. and seafood into our diet. Others would say it was, yeah. it was the consumption of psychedelics, such as psilocybin mm-hmm. mushrooms. Help to expand mm-hmm. our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Help to create new neural pathways. Help to expand our understanding of the reality in which we live in. Mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. I would say that both are potentially both are true. I think yep. to dismiss one or all the other would be would be um, would be ignorant. But I, then again, yep. Um, yep. but then again you know, I'm going to go out on their ledge here, but I believe there are ancient civilizations as well. We know that, that we have no idea and understanding of what, what happened through that. I mean, I, I don't want to take us off course last night, but I watched something last night, which was about the, the change of our genetic material or DNA some 15 to 20,000 years ago. And this is going right off the, the, like the edge <laughs> of the world. But it brings us back to what, what we're talking about today. Why are they bringing in a vaccine right now that alters our DNA or has the potential to alter our DNA? So I think there's, 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 there's so much going on at the moment that where we could look back into the past and see what's happening right now in the present. But anyway, I took okay, us right off on a tangent. there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> something right. right now, Alex. It's much better Shoot. if you don't ask me any questions. while I'm 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 in this space because <laughs> I'd, I'd rather you just okay. free flow and I'll just shut the fuck up. <laughs>
1: okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there, there's a thread I want to pull on this. So, so I think the what you discussed there about you know the the emergence basically of a of the, of really the prefrontal cortex and a and a and a larger ratio between. Uh, uh brain brain mass and body mass um where it derived from whether whether it was uh the consumption of psychedelics or you know the the consumption of uh fatty meat which uh, and enabled us um in fact there's a there's a there's a scientist called Vasil buckle vassil i think his name or i can't remember it specifically but he wrote a book called energy and civilization where he goes back in time and basically says the first real thing was actually Bipedalism and and our ability to to stand upright, um, which then enabled us to uh, better hunt food, and then the more uh, uh, higher meat fat content we got, the more our brains were able to develop, etc. But the the effect of all of this, um, basically, of having of being a, a larger brain species, was we enabled, we we, we created the ability to communicate across. Um, Basically, uh, what the, the there's a historian and a um, anthropologist who I don't really like, but he he, he came up with one really uh, really nice simplified way of understanding uh, human complexity, which is the the theory of uh, shared fictions or abstract concepts. Is that human beings are able to cooperate and collaborate based on uh, uh, a, a set of ideas or fictions that may not be tangibly true. So for example, if we look at uh, monkeys who are a little bit different than us, very similar, but also different, is uh, they can point out a banana on the ground um, or they can warn of a uh, lion coming to, the, you know, to where they're drinking. So, so they all run off, right? Or they, they can even lie. They can say, hey, look, there's an eagle up in the sky. The other monkey looks and he steals his banana, right? So, so they can do all these things. What they can't do, um, is they can't talk about the lion as the spirit animal of our people, right? That's a that's a shared fiction. But humans, particularly Homo sapiens, as as the particular uh, line of human beings, is able to create these fictions that we're able to build some commonality of. And what that does is allows us to build complexity in the way we cooperate that goes beyond what's called Dunbar's number. So Dunbar, Robert Dunbar was a, 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 a English anthropologist who studied uh, apes and studied human beings as sort of the, the evolutionary creatures from apes, et cetera. And, and what he found was that across all of the different ape species, including humans, we're only able to uh, build groups of a, up to a maximum of about 150 human beings that we can know uh, and we can have some sort of trust with. Um, and, and trust is the prerequisite for collaboration and cooperation. And we as human beings, obviously, or as homo sapiens particularly, have been able to transcend that. You, know, we, you don't see us living in groups of 150 anymore. We have large cities and we have all this sort of stuff. And the way we got there, and this is a long way of getting to this point, is the way we got there was we have built uh, abstract uh, fictions, effectively, abstract ideas that have allowed us to create complexity in society and effectively get to points of trust that enable human beings to work together. And these abstract fictions are everything from religions, nationalities, laws, gods, kings, monarchs—like all of these things are made up. Like laws, you know, uh, a good one is nation states. A exists, yes. state, except for the fact that a broad swathe of human beings agree in this shared fiction of a I'm going to label myself as Australian, you know, or American or whatever. And it enables uh, human beings who don't know each other to be able to create some sort of connection uh, and cooperate, because that's what makes us different. Like, if you look at all species on the planet, and this is a really important distinction to understand, is that they either cooperate um, in, in large numbers or flexibly. And a good example of this, uh, the, the large number example, is you know bees or ants um, and things like that. So they cooperate in large numbers, but it's it's a very rigid sort of structure. You know that they've got their hierarchies; it's biologically driven. You know they do what they do. You don't have the, um, you know, you don't have the oppressed minority of ants who are saying, you know, we are, we're, we're the black ants and we should you know, get our thing and we're going to do a social uprising. It doesn't happen like that. They're biologically driven. Then on the other side, you have species that work very flexibly, but not great in large numbers. You know, wolves, chimpanzees, etc. Human beings, we seem to, or Homo sapiens specifically, again, we seem to be able to do both. We can work in large numbers and flexibly. And that is due to the fact that we have this unique ability. It's something to do with our prefrontal cortex, something to do with the way our brains evolve that allows us to communicate about abstract fictions and create these, this layer of trust that doesn't require us to be bounded by that Dunbar's number, by that 150 people. So anyway, coming back to all of these things. So we've created all these ideas, institutions, you know, religions, you know, nationalities, empires, all this sort of stuff that um, enables complexity to emerge. The one that's been with us from the beginning of time is actually money. Money is a tool. That emerged naturally. It wasn't, you know, given down by some sort of decree. It emerged naturally, and the reason it emerged is because, as cooperative, or as collaborative, or cooperative species, we all perform some sort of work. You know, we all do something. And if we think about like a caveman, ten thousand years ago, twenty thousand years ago, or let's say even before that, let's say a hundred thousand years ago, um, you know, we need to eat some meat. Uh, someone needs to pick some berries, somebody needs to sweep the cave, you know, and maybe put some things together. What we did originally was, and people think that this is a really interesting thing. People think barter, you know, like you have an apple, I have a banana. That was the first form of money. And it's not really accurate because remember, shared fictions are designed to increase complexity um, in society and money being the most important shared fiction of all is to increase the complexity. Now, barter, is subject to um, a, the combinatorial problem, which means if I have a banana, you have an apple, but you don't want a banana, you want a shoe. I have to find someone else with a shoe that wants my banana so I can get the apple. And then, but if he doesn't uh, uh, want the banana, but I need his shoe, like it starts to get really complex. So barter never actually worked. What we did was money started off as promises. It started off as if you do this, I do this, you do that. Uh, we will be able to trade, like we, we can divide our labor, And that's what allowed human beings to start to build complexity. And it's really, it's a really important point to understand because a lot of people say, oh, you know, imagine a world or imagine a society without money. It actually doesn't exist. We, we have to be able to measure our different inputs. That's extremely important because we are all different individual human beings. We all offer something different and we all value everything differently. It's important, like, you, know, you might value eating meat more than I value eating vegetables and that's perfectly fine. You shouldn't be able to force me to value the things the same as you want. So as a result, we all have this sort of subjective reality that we live in um, and we have to be able to measure the things we do and the things we want subjectively. So we started off with these promises. In fact, fun fact, some of the earliest writings that we've ever found in cave walls and things like that were actually ledgers. They were this... You did this, I did that, this person did that, and we traded these ledgers. Um, that, was, that was the original format of money. Money was a ledger, and money still is a ledger to this day. Fast forward a little bit, you know, as we sort of ventured on beyond our caves and beyond our communities, what we realized was shit, we need to be able to carry um, the, you know, the, the product of our labor, which is effectively what money is. Money measures our labor we have to carry that somewhere to be able to trade with somebody else because it's not just us in our little nuclear family, you know, or us in our community. It sort of grows beyond that. So how do we do this? And that's where commodity money comes up. You know, you see, we use things like cows as money, salt, spices, um, you know, the word uh, salary comes, is derived from salt. It was, it was original form of money. So we, we use different objects and what we did was as human beings progressed, as civilization progressed, we found better and better objects to represent the product of our labor. And I'm just gonna pull up a little page here in front of me so I can discuss the attributes that we were looking for when, as we discovered new forms of money. So for something to act as an object that represents our time and energy, so our labor, it should have some specific attributes. Um, and those attributes are, it should be portable. You know, you should be able to carry it around with you. If you've done some work, um, you know, that that money that represents the work you've done, the input in society should be portable. And that's why cows, for example, didn't really work. Um, it should be durable. This is why salt didn't work. So like, you know, you want to be able to, if you've done some work, you want to be able to store it um, for future transaction, right? For So again, this is, this is a really... Uh, A real misconception about, you know, when when people think about money from back in the days, they thought, you know, uh, they mistime a lot of things. So the durability one is important because imagine having all of your wealth stored in salt and then you get a big storm and your wealth disappears. Right. Like so so that's so salt was not a very good uh, form of money. It needs to be divisible. This is, again, why cattle didn't work, um, because you need to be able to chop it up. Because if you want to buy something smaller, what are you going to do? Like if you want uh, you know, a chicken, but you have a cow, like you're not going to trade the whole cow. You're not going to chop the cow's fucking leg off. So it becomes a little bit difficult. So you need portability, durability, divisibility. It needs to be cognizant visible or or recognizable so that this this element of money is called cognizability so it needs to be recognizable so what you see as money needs to be this thing that i see and that someone else recognizes so we all have to have this sort of consent around what the object of money is um fungibility is another extremely uh, important attribute is um your money should be the same as my money should be the same as uh bob's money and zoe's money and everything if we're all using something different uh, it starts to not be very like you end up with this uh, what's it called uh, inefficiencies at the at the margins where the money needs to be exchanged um, and money becomes just like another good then it becomes like a chicken or a cow or something so it's not a very good money when it's not very fungible because everything's priced differently so it creates it creates waste uh, in society so when you look at all those the, the last one is scarcity. Um, And and this is sort of like, I think, the most...
0: I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit EvolveNetwork.tv. That's EvolveNetwork.tv. We'll see you there.
1: The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.